The Tuffle Commute, Season 11, Episode 2, in which Sean and I talk about all things private, privacy of the classroom, private lessons, and privacy issues. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tuffle Commute. I'm Sean, one of your hosts. And I'm Lindsay, the other one of the hosts. And he's, and Lindsay says this is a... This is Tuffle Commute. It's a podcast for language teachers. That's not about language teaching. But the topic does often come up, does it not, Sean? Oh, we've gone back to often come up. Oh, okay, I thought we'd come back. I thought we'd change it to always or usually come up. Usually. Usually often. Uh, always. Know. Yes. Hi. Anyway, Lindsay, how you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you? I'm, I'm tempted to say, how's your privates? But that's got so many different <laughs> oh, meanings. Oh, gosh, we're not going to get into the privates things. Well, uh, on, the, on the Tuffle Commute, uh, Sean and I take an issue, uh, take a word or a theme or a topic and kind of delve into different aspects of the topic as it may be of interest to language teachers. This episode is called Private. And so we're talking about, well, Privates. Privates. <laughs> privates. Privacy. Privates. Not 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 like the military. So, so when we upload when we upload it to uh upload it to the um, to, to iTunes, etc., do we have to tick the explicit warning? Because we uh, don't I think we're okay so All far. Right. Let's All see right. how it goes. So what does what does private have to do with with uh or privacy have to do with education at all? Quite a lot. You know, sometimes these random words, if, if people knew how we plan the commute, uh, you know, the, and we do plan them. Um and one word spiraled and was like, oh yeah, actually there's a lot to say here, isn't there? And we realized that this might be quite a long episode. Yeah. <laughs> be warned. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so uh, privacy of the classroom, uh, which we, which I think was an interesting, which is where we started. And then we kind yeah, of... Yeah, I think if I think about that, I, I, mean, I mean, I think we're going to get into the like technology stuff a little bit later, but yeah. the privacy of the classroom, why do we say privacy or privacy? Ooh. When do we say which? Oh, I don't know. You're, oh, you messed my head up now. Pri privacy of the classroom. No, yeah, I would have said privacy of the classroom. It's talking to you in your, your mango-Canadian-British accent. I, it's, it's true that teaching is, is kind of this hybrid, isn't it? It's sort of like public in the sense that you are there. You have to be doing it with somebody else. You can't just do it completely by yourself. Um, well, you, well, although you can have private lessons. Yes, but even that requires two people. Oh, you mean the student? Unless, you mean the, yeah. yeah, okay. So it's not it's not a it's 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 not entirely private. There's a kind of public element to it, but yeah, okay. it is also very private in the sense of the idea of like the teacher closing the door. You know, so like what happens in the classroom, that's the teacher's business, and and, and it, you can't kind of get in there. I think you know, that underpins a lot of. Uh, yeah, a lot of issues in education, actually. But yeah, no, this this is my classroom. It's it's mine. You can't see what's going on in it. And um, I think we've we've talked about before this idea. This idea of privacy, stroke uh, secrecy, almost carries through into the sense of of even during a lesson, we have a lesson plan that we don't share. <laughs> Take, yeah. You know, those those kind of things. We know what's coming next. <laughs> Shall I yes, tell the students? Yeah. So there's it, it is an interesting. Um, undercurrent of education isn't it, it uh, and 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 it is also that that teachers will often jealously guard 
that privacy of their classroom. Um, so they, they, you know, the, 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 it's sort of like what happens there is my business and not anyone else's business. You're, you're not to really question what, what I have done or why I have done what I did. I mean, you're, the students may, but someone outside of the classroom, uh, maybe not. Would you agree? Um, um, I don't know, actually, now you've said it that way. Um, maybe. Maybe I wouldn't. Uh, maybe I'd guard the teaching process, but I'm not so sure about the learning process. Because I do think we often come into, uh, if, you, if you work in a, in, a, in, you know, in a school and you come into the staff room and kind of vent a little bit, then you kind of like, this is kind of, oh, that went wrong, that, you know, or that student. Well, there is, there is that, but so, then there's another step between saying, hey, who wants to come and sit in on this class? Because it's also like that sort of the, the privacy privacy of the group as it's formed. So even like, I mean, we won't get into observation. We've done a whole episode on observation, but the teacher often feels like kind of nervous about observation. But students then also kind of will sometimes detect the change in the atmosphere when someone has come in to observe, especially if everyone knows each other. So it becomes your own private Well, space. I think that actually goes as well when you get a new student in the class. You know, if you've got a, um, a, a class that's been together, certainly um, if you think about it from a, a, a private language school point of view, you've had a class that's probably got a, a group of core students that's that's been through you know, a number of levels together and then suddenly a new student comes in and you can feel that kind of, uh, that cold atmosphere is like, who's yeah. that uh, over there? But, I uh, remember when I started doing conferences, I, I was giving a talk for a long time. I, I had done some research over a year on, on, on teacher burnout. Right. And one of the things about teacher burnout was that sort of sense of feeling lonely. So even though you would be in a group of, in a room with a group of people, you still felt incredibly lonely it's quite yeah, that's quite interesting because if, um, if you start googling um you know, like the uh, privacy of the classroom or the privacy of the classroom mm -hmm. or what goes on by closed doors immediately you kind of come into all these links that take you uh that kind of um take this um, well isolation point of view really you know that um that the, the closing uh closing of the door uh makes teaching a solo act um and i think that's quite interesting um yeah um so i but they were talking about um kind of mainstream education against the you know the the elt private sector which is what we're both uh, familiar with i guess yeah but i think the pro the problem exists in mainstream education of the teacher sort of closing the door one teacher is assigned to one classroom it's just one teacher to all the students and if they're not really communicating to each other and i think i know teachers in the state sector uh that i've trained or that i've worked with who really do not engage in much kind of professional development. They go in, they do their class, they go out again, and they must feel quite isolated in a way because they're not in, uh, involved with the school or the community on any kind of... Uh, yeah, high. it's kind of totality with a research paper, and there is a research paper, uh, and I'll put it on the on the, the link to it on the, the show notes. This kind of highlights this isolation factor. I'll just quote three different bits of it. So teacher isolation is incredibly important because if people are isolated from each other, they do not know whatever else is doing and there's not much trust uh then they also found that individuals start to feel the classroom has become their entire world uh because yeah. you know they're in this door and then so they actually become divorced a little bit from the real world and the point you were just making that teachers don't tend to observe each other's performance share ideas or work in collaborative ways so that kind of goes uh goes through from that doesn't it and you know there's other websites and blogs and you you get these things like teaching is a solo act you know uh, closing the door so yeah. it's clearly uh, clearly uh, 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 an issue and i think in this kind of more enlightened now well i think well-being of teachers is 
um, certainly at the forefront of of teaching compared to where it was, you know, in the years that we've taught. I think there's something to to consider how much that might might play a part in it. Yeah, which also I think explains why for many people things like conferences, like teaching conferences, are so important or so like important in, in, in some teachers' professional lives because because this is where they say like, you know, this is where I meet like-minded fellow people who are all experience have the same kind of life experience as I do and have gone through the same things and it kind of helps you, gives you that shot of energy to go back into the classroom, uh, quote unquote, alone and, and, and to keep going. Mm. It's interesting. I, the more I think about it, the more it does lead into this idea of uh, obviously the observations that we've talked about, and you know, and the way I don't know professional development almost is done in schools as well to kind of um, almost foster an environment of an open door. Although open doors is bad, I, I once tried to teach with an open door, and obviously I've got quite a booming voice. I was told mm. off by many teachers. <laughs> so, <laughs> closing the yeah. door does have an effect of keeping the sound in as well. That's true. That's true. Also, closing the door does kind of give that idea of like we're getting down to business now. Like let's start work, like a, like for a task or for whatever. Okay. But, but um. It does lead, I'm trying to find the segue into our next bit, Sean. Fight, 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 fight. Is that enough? Well, uh, well, <laughs> but, well I, let me give you the segue and then you, you pick a fight. Because the segue of also talking about private is, uh, we talked about being in the private language sector. Uh, that's not the segue, private as opposed to public. But part of the private language sector, of course, is the whole idea of private lessons. And that begs the question, which is better, a private class? or a group class. And welcome to another round of TEFL Fights, in which our two competitors duke it out to decide who's right and who's wrong. So what are the Queensbury rules? Well, each fighter will have one minute to argue their case and do some serious damage to their competitor. In round two, they'll have the chance to follow up and land the knockout blow, persuading the judge, that's me, that they've managed to win. So in this episode, the guys have been talking about privacy. So, in this bout, our brave pugilists will be sparring over this topic. Group classes are better than private one-to-one -one classes. So going first and arguing for the topic, it's Lindsay. Seconds out, let's go. All right, let's be realistic. First of all, when I argue that group classes are better than private one-to-one -one classes, I'm not arguing that a class of 40 is better or that a class of 100 students is better than a class of one student. But I do maintain that having a small group of let's say between six and 10 people, yes. This is for several reasons. One, with a group, it's more of a chance to hear different opinions, different voices, different stories, different perspectives. That also for the student, it allows for more thinking time and planning time for what you're going to say. You're not on the spot 
as much as you would be in a one-to-one -one class. Also, there is uh, there there's like psychology and and social theory that backs us up. The social theory of learning. People learn from one another via observation, imitation, and modeling. Do I even need to say the words like Gotsky? I'll say it anyway. Um, uh, but people can learn from each other. Teacher can also take on different roles, such as facilitating and not always leading and feeling that they're always on keeping things going. If you have a group, that can also happen. There's less focus as a teacher always on you, the individual. The same thing as a student. Less focus on you, the individual. It's also, I would argue, with a small group. Thank you, Lindsay. Okay, Sean, it's over to you. Well, clearly the argument is wood on the fact that you get more money tend to, uh, for private one-to-one -one lessons usually. But now let's argue one-to-one -one itself. It's funny how people like Lindsay see group teaching as the norm when it's so much harder than one-to-one -one teaching. I mean, as he mentioned, both of us know that classes are 40 or more, and it's almost impossible to do anything communicative in that. But even if we take his manageable number, let's say, oh, what, six or ten people, he said, classes are bizarre. If you're lucky, they might be of, of the overall same level, but you're going to have six or ten different abilities. Uh, mixed abilities in writing, speaking, and so on. Six to ten different personalities, interests, motivation, needs, the list goes on. One-to-one -one teaching is natural. One student, one challenge, one goal. Make that student better at English. Sure, you have to sacrifice a bit of student-to-student peer-pair work and also get rid of things, the problems like group dynamics, early finishers, late arrivals. But in, a turn, in return, you get a whole list of advantages. One-to-one -one allows for better engagement, real interaction, and you can develop a real and productive relationship. One-to-one -one is real communication with chance to give better and more personalized feedback. And one-to-one... -one... Thank you, Sean. So now it's time for round two, uh, an opportunity for our pugilists to, to come back and land some more blows. Lindsay is to go first. Lindsay, are you ready? Yes. Okay. And seconds out, round two. Okay, so first of all, the question about money. I don't know what Sean was getting on about there. Having a group of people uh, paying more money than makes more money than just a one-to-one -one class, if we're talking above just what the teacher's taking as a private class. Also, he was kind of poo-pooing on group dynamics. Group dynamics do come into play, but they can create environments and instances where things that happen that just don't with a one-to-one -one class. Also, Sean tends to romanticize the idea with a one-to-one -one that it's all going to be great and you're not going to have weird characters or early finishers or things like that, different characters. You can have some pretty weird characters in a one-to-one one classroom and then you're stuck with them just you and the student and that's it all the time with a group <laughs> and now it's time for sean and sean are you ready to come back i think so yeah okay so here we go sean yeah i might romanticize but in fact i would say that it's based on the experience that one-to-one -one is more productive I, I can see as a teacher real satisfaction in a one-to-one -one learner uh developing their goals, reaching reaching their, their where they want to be. When a group, there's always, it's always the worry. There's always the, is this, is that, is whatever. As for Vygotsky, group dynamics, early finishing, we can't have an early finish, you've got one finisher. So they might finish the task early, but I don't have to wait for someone else. Uh, you can bring other things into the classroom. And these days with technology, other voices can come into the classroom. So the idea of... Okay, that's the end of the fire, gentlemen. Oh, I, know, I fight, think we're thanks. just getting going. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you can resume this on your own time. So, we've heard some great arguments from both of our combatants, and it's time now for me to make my final decision as to who has the eye of the tiger and who's been left spread-eagled on the canvas. And I have to say, today's fight was pretty even. 
last time we it was definitely not but uh, this time i think it was much closer good arguments on both sides it could have gone either way i think i'm gonna fall on the side of group lessons the winner is lindsay oh yes oh, oh well thank you very much thank you drops mike oh, thank you everyone and we'll see you next time on tevil fights so um uh um, yeah. <laughs> um I, while while we were away fighting i did uh, i did get a, a note coming to me that says privacy and privacy difference between the british and american english so let's uh let's okay. mangle them as much as we like um so okay. pri- pr- privates and pri- private lessons as we were yeah okay. well private lessons i thought one of the things uh to change up from our sort of uh you know rather heavy beginning to this i did a little a bit of field research sean and um I wanted to, uh, with private uh, classes, um, most English teachers have taught a private class once in their life, or they will. Can yeah? I just come back to something? Yeah. I, it occurred to me during the fight um, with it. Um, what is a, what, how are we defining private class? A private class, I would say, is probably, is almost always a one-to-one, but that's not the only condition for it. I'd say a private class is like where the student pays the teacher. So yeah, so uh, same as I, it should it occurred to me in the um, in the first half of the the first part of the podcast when we, we were talking about private schools. Obviously, we work at private language schools, and we might have one to ones in those. Mm-hmm. But then, but the school mm-hmm. is the school is paying us. Uh, we we yes. like they're a client of the school for which we work. Although sometimes schools will call those private lessons, but then they assign exactly. Them yeah, that's yeah. why that's why it occurred to me. I thought, hmm, should we define it so at least the 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 listener knows what we're talking about? So. We're both talking about a, a well, student has been arranged. Yeah, from. now we're talking about a student has come up to you after class or has gotten, or someone says, hey, do you do private lessons? So if someone asks me, do I do private lessons? I assume that they're going to pay me like not through an intermediary. Of anyone yeah, that, that's what I would say. But I just yeah. felt we needed to. We, we, well, in that case, sometimes I'll do private lessons to like a, a two or three people, you know, like can, yeah. can you come and do private lessons for me and my brother or whatever. Anyway, I asked in my bit of informal field research. Okay. Of course, on a social media platform, which we won't necessarily name this time, but on a social media platform, I asked a bunch of teachers, writers, and other people in ELT, what was the most unusual place they've given a private lesson, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start with myself, and then I thought we could share some of these. So, for example, one of the weirdest places I gave, but it's not really that weird compared to what we heard, was I gave one in a motorcycle factory at 7 o'clock in the morning to the director that, uh, in, in his office that overlooked the assembly thing. And he would smoke these, like, Spanish black <laughs> cigarettes at 7 a.m. And we had to, like, I had to choke through, like, an hour-long lesson um, with him at that time in the morning. But that was kind of the most unusual place. Okay, I don't think I I saw. But your, that's uh, not that's not as unusual as some of the yeah, other. As I said, I don't think I've got anything unusual. Certainly not compared to your social media call out, which uh, no. which garnered quite the response. To be perfect. Well, what I thought we could do is you have it in front of you, and I have it in I front of me. Yeah, yeah. There were more than eighty-seven comments at the time of recording this, because there are some really cool ones in here. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So Rakesh talked about driving a Swiss couple from Canterbury to Scotland in their Audi. He spent a week staying in hotels en route, and his job was simply to speak English during the driving and at mealtimes. Whereas Gloria, uh, hers was in a hangar. In a hangar. I wonder if that was like an airplane hangar. Uh, Yeah, an airplane hangar or whatever. But yeah, Yeah. that's that's an interesting one. 
James uh, talked about teaching James, actually, this is our producer, James, taught at Coca-Cola, uh, where every lesson was accompanied by a meal, including a meal for him and all the soft drinks that you could drink. Wait, what have we talked about with advertising, James? Mm. <laughs> uh, Rob, uh, Rob Howard, he was at the beach while the student was in her bathtub. And, and it, it begs lots of questions on that yes. one. So we'll uh, the beach and the bathtub then. in the same place? You know, it just, anyway, go on. Um, Fitch O'Connell uh, was uh, teaching to a Portuguese nurse in a busy A&E department while he was on a stretcher and she was elbow deep in sutures, blood and urine. This went on for six hours. Woof. Using the realia of the emergency room as props. Wow. Uh, Catherine, uh, a former who appeared in last season, uh, taught a lesson in a swimming pool. John Hughes, teacher and author uh, of, 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 of many course books, taught an English lesson in a helicopter, which is awesome. Paul Brunnock has taught in, a, taught in a billiard room of a wealthy family. Uh, so, as he said, the lessons did a lot of colour vocabulary and prepositions of movement. Ken Wilson taught in a convent in Seville, Spain in 1968. They told him he was the only man apart from the gardener who was ever allowed further into the building than the front entrance. He taught three nuns and charged them 100% as an hour. Uh, Laura, Laura Woodward uh, puts a, a refugee camp on the Thai-Burmese border, which uh, sounds um, partly idyllic, but then she also adds, I was surrounded by AK-47s. Wow. Rachel Roberts taught in a language school in the south of England, not private lessons, but in the girls' toilets and in a garden shed with no electricity. So private in another sense, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Julie Moore uh, also appeared on this podcast once. Um, she sent us into a fit of reminiscing uh, with hers, where she taught in the concert hall in Prague, which is as fabulous as the picture she put with it. Uh, but this uh, student, uh, Julie and I used to work at the, the same uh, language school. So this, this particular student was legendary. Uh, was taught by so many teachers after Julie left, and probably before Julie arrived. Never beyond, never, and every lesson felt like it was the first ever lesson with him, like trying to teach him hello, my name wow. is. Paul Seligson taught on the first green and then the clubhouse of the Saint Germain en Laye golf course in Paris. He lost two balls on the first hole, so his student, the wife of the French foreign minister, abandoned golf, and they completed the lesson inside. Uh, Clyde and uh, Branca both taught on trains. So uh, Clyde's taught on the Trans-Siberian Express, uh, and Branca's is, uh, says on a train, but more, uh, more interestingly, also backstage before a dance show where a friend of hers was preparing for an English exam, and she was waiting for her turn to go on stage, and while doing so, she, though, she was having grammar explained to her. <laughs> Corinne Coco Frey uh, really took the took the cake by listing all the weird places she's taught: a military airfield, a funeral parlor, nuclear power plant, a construction site, and a refuse incinerator. The site on my business card will teach privately, <laughs> but needs to be in an unusual uh, location. Charles Hadfield and Jill Hadfield, I think, both coached Tibetan students in Lhasa, um, and a tiny in a tiny room filled mostly with their bed this was like their bedroom that they were teaching they would sit on the bed teaching two students while the other one lay under the covers trying to keep warm <laughs> and probably one uh, one fitting for us to conclude with lulu campbell uh has taught in a psychiatrist's uh, uh chair in buenos aires <laughs> interesting we are a odd yes, bunch of people it is an odd bunch as i said on this thread um 
it makes for a great advertisement for a recruiting agency for English language teaching. Teach in the strangest places. If you have taught in a weird or wonderful place, please let us know at the TEFL Commute uh, on, our, on our Facebook or our Instagram or wherever you can find us. We'll come back to that later on in the show, won't we, Sean? We will. So while you were doing call-outs, I was looking for advice on teaching, uh, being a, a private teacher, a private language teacher. Uh, so here you go. Websites with advice. You ready for the advice? I always like okay, to give, give, you a bit of give me a little bit of advice. Okay. Yeah, so it. from the Take Lessons website, uh, new, new to teaching private lesson, here is the advice from the pros. Point number one, communicate. Yeah. yeah no. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Number two, stay enthusiastic. I should okay, right, okay. right, number three is at number three. Ready for this? You'll never guess number three. Prepare your first lesson. <sighs> and number right. four, planning is everything. No, really. <laughs> oh, really? This is, <laughs> this is stellar no, internet it's, it's gold you've hit yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, no, well, number six, I'll jump ahead one. Number six is make time to organize. Can you see the thread going on here? Oh, um, going okay. back, number five, get the right mindset. It doesn't say what the right mindset is to perfect, but it just says get the right mindset. Uh, number seven, remember patience which actually is good advice. This number, sounds like our Facebook wisdom. It does. Out. It's terrible. Number eight, stick to your rules. Number nine, keep someone accountable. Number 10, respect your prices. Number 11, always look for ways to improve. And number 12, are, are you ready, Lindsay? Create an awesome student experience. <laughs> okay. We're not going to share the link to this on our page. You will never find this ever again. Thank but you, Sean. Do you not think that's <laughs> such valuable advice? <laughs> Yes, of course it is. It's the valuable, <laughs> vacuous advice that we often get on Facebook. Be awesome. Be anyway, awesome. There, there is another element of private that um, and privacy that, that did spark interest when we were thinking about this, which is the whole idea of like data uh, and um, student data. And I think this is like the, 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 let's finish our episode by talking a little bit about, about all of that, you know, because... To me, yeah, now, I think it's more than the privacy, the privacy, privacy of the classroom. It is, it is like people's data and how that has, how views on that have been changing. I, I have, I, this is really of, um, of great interest to me, mainly because I teach a class on this in, in the yeah. university, uh, and it's amazing because I teach. Um, kind of um postgrads and it's amazing how much they don't know about privacy of all the technology they're doing uh, uh with it um, it's just yeah anyway um so i'm i'm keen to talk about this element uh but yeah you've got you, you you actually got someone else to talk about yes i thought i'd bring in someone else into the mix and i went and googled on um the whole issue of of, of privacy and english language teaching seeing if anyone had written about it and sure enough one of our colleagues had written something about it um so this is so i got i reached out to her it's chia chia swan chong and uh she's a teacher teacher trainer and writer and i decided to reach out to her about her article and have a little chat about it. Shall we take a listen? Mm, please do. Uh, so today I'm joined with uh, a colleague um, of ours uh, here at Tuffle Commute who wrote an article about the subject that we're talking about today, about privacy. It was actually the first uh, link that I came up when I looked up 
uh, online privacy for teachers, um, English teachers. It was one of the first ones, and it made me think uh, this was Google, Google's algorithm that had kind of sussed me out and was giving, feeding me stuff immediately from my colleagues or people I knew. But anyway, um, I'm joined with uh, Chia Swan Chong. Chia, hi, welcome. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, I found your article about reflecting on online privacy and protection for teachers and students uh, on my Google searching about uh, online privacy for this episode uh, from May 2018, and I really liked it. So um, why don't we just kind of start off by uh, telling us how you kind of came around to that. I think what interests me most is the fact that we all have very different views, very, very varied views on privacy and on um, how we use technology and, and the, issue, the privacy issues that we face. I mean, at home, I am the kind of person that would be happy to share my, you know, to, to add people that I have met to my social media account, uh -huh, uh -huh. spoken to them on Skype. Um, I'm quite happy to have, you know, um, like Alexa on and, and, and listening to our conversations. And, yeah. and I'm not really fussy about these things. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share my personal life, my family life with my colleagues on social media, for example. Um, and my husband has quite a different point of view with, with regards to privacy. He doesn't quite like sharing, you know, his personal life with his colleagues. He doesn't like me doing it either. You know, when I turn Alexa on, he turns it off. Um, wow. <laughs> so I have to admit, I haven't done the Alexa jump myself. I probably might air more on that side but go on go on <laughs> i think i think he finds it quite creepy yeah. that there's someone out there recording or listening to our conversations and that he's like if you want to play music then turn it on and play music but we don't have yeah. to have it on all the time yeah. um, whereas i'm like you know who's going to listen to our conversations and even if they do they're not going to find anything very interesting anyways i've got right. nothing hide and right. my best friend used to say you know this i've got nothing to hide argument is extremely flawed he used okay. to say to me you know you've got nothing to hide until you have something to hide yes yeah <laughs> and there's and, also um, the principle of the thing i suppose there is the principle of the thing as well um and you know there in the article that you mentioned um i quoted um edward snowden saying arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different from saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. And okay. I think that's really quite true. Yeah. So that's kind of taught me a lesson there, you know, uh -huh. having nothing to hide. It's not really an argument to yeah. not be private. But, yeah. you know, this, this all is about my personal opinions and my husband's opinions. It doesn't really, um, you know, matter in the classroom because I've always been the kind of person who's like, oh, let's whip out our mobile phones. Let's use mobile learning. Let's use technology in the classroom. Yeah. And, and Here, also, everybody, let's join a Google group. Let's. I've started yeah. a Facebook group. Um, come and sign up. Give me your phone numbers. Yeah, go on. Yeah, let's WhatsApp while we watch this television program in the evening, yeah. you know. And I'm all for flipped learning and all that. And if you look at, you know, a lot of the ELT materials, the ELT um, books out there about blended learning, about e-learning, about technology tools, a lot of it requires a certain amount of buy-in from both the teacher and the students. That's you know, you, you guilty as well. I have mentioned this in, in activities I've written as well. Yes, there is a certain element. But yeah, 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 no, no, exactly. And I'm feeling more and more uncomfortable about it <laughs> as time goes by. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I because I'm so open about, you know, using technology tools and I'm like, yeah, just bring it on. Let's use it all. I have been guilty of going into the classroom and then, you know, 
placing this upon my teacher trainees. So I, I for example, once I, I was running an Erasmus Plus course with a group of um, teachers from Germany, um, and half of these teachers were quite concerned when I said, you know, okay, let's let's uh, open a Google group. I'm going to show you how to use Google groups, and we're going to be using this during the course. And so half of them said, look, we don't even have um, Gmail or, or Google Mail. And I was like, oh, okay, why don't you start one? Let's start one right now just for the purpose of, you know, this activity. And a lot of them were really, really hesitant. Of course, my first reaction was, oh, come on, get over it, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's only an email account. Um, then I met a teacher who went as far as to say, I don't even use Google searches because I don't believe in Google and I don't believe what they stand for. So I refuse to search wow. for anything online with Google. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really quite dogmatic. That's really quite extreme. But as I met more and more of these teachers, I started to question if I was the one who was being dogmatic, like yeah. I was the one who was pushing my views about technology and openness onto these teachers who were much more concerned about privacy than I, I am. And I'm thinking maybe we should really take these opinions and these concerns into consideration and not kind of impose our take on this on the teachers as well. Um, and I, I've run a lot of teacher training courses where I, you know, had more and more of these issues with teachers saying, oh, but I can't use mobile phones in the classroom because um, my, my students can't give me their mobile number, so we can't use WhatsApp. And, and then I started to, you know, very gradually but surely realize, hang on a second, may, maybe we really need to rethink, um, you know, our one-size-fits-all mentality towards privacy and technology. Yeah. No, I think you're definitely right. It is something that I've becoming uh, also a little bit more uncomfortable with. I think, I think one of the things is that as we all kind of uh, came into our own in technology, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like in the 200, 2010s or the 2000s, 2010s, as all this was kicking off, it was like so positive and so like, you know, this is great and we can all use this. And I think it's only been in the past few years. I think since Snowden probably launched a bit of this, but I think it's also probably much more since the whole, for me, it's been since the Cambridge Analytica stuff and the, and the, the 2016 and all the kind of trolling and things like that happening that has sort of made me thinking a lot more about privacy and everything. Uh, before we finish, because it's just a quick little interview, um, I thought what was interesting was uh, your questions to, to teachers and teacher training um, uh, one part you put in your article, I just wondered if that would be nice kind of to share as a thing for our listeners on like, how would you feel? Uh, wh where do you draw the line? Or uh, what level of intrusion do you feel? You listed a bunch of things. I wonder if you could share with some of these things like, because you know, it really started making me think like, oh, I, I, I don't know if I would be cool with that. I don't know if I'd be cool with that one. Actually, I don't know if I, and then the more I thought about it, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I'd be cool with all these. So why would I be asking my students to do it for me? Mm. Yeah, they are mostly reflection questions that I've listed here. Um, I've put them in two categories. So questions for teachers or teacher development groups and questions for students. Um, I've put them up there because some of them are quite, as you say, quite controversial. They are, mm -hmm. they are questions that can get quite a variety of answers. And I think if you just throw any of these questions into a staff room, it can get people talking. So you've got questions like, you know, how do you feel about sharing your Facebook account with your students? Would yeah. you add your students as friends? How do you feel about sharing your mobile number with your students? <laughs> because yeah. you're asking them to share it with you, right? How do you feel about sharing your email address with the students? Or how do you feel about having your lessons recorded and shared? 
yeah. if it's recorded by your institution and I or think, if it's recorded by the students how did you feel exactly and i think i think for a lot of teachers like the facebook phone number and email probably now well facebook now i imagine i know many teachers have their own facebook page that they're willing to share and also with an email they might have their university email or their business email or whatever email that, that they'll be doing what i thought was more interesting is sort of like when you're like when you ask the, the, i'll share if it's okay with you um some of these things that you mentioned like how what what uh what level of intrusion would you feel about the following a student sending you messages about their homework on your mobile phone like on the weekend to your mobile phone to your personal mobile phone or calling you for a quick chat about their homework um a student and as you said a studio want a student wanting to audio record your lesson i think lots of people would feel a bit bit nervous about that um or maybe they wouldn't i don't know a student messaging you or facebook or tweeting you um and then and then and then the it kind of because it's, it's in the same way it's kind of like the same kind of stuff like the, you ended with like is this how different is this from a student wanting to talk to you after class about their personal problems or you know like you could even take it further a student inviting you into their car to talk about something private you know you sort of like well that is too, that, that's a little bit too private and yet I'm letting yeah, you into my phone <laughs> I'm letting the you into my phone. The important question is why why yeah. is it not okay to, for example, why is it not okay to, to get into a car with the student, but it's okay for you to share your email address with them? Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying one is right or the other, but I think that that question why helps us to reflect on our own views on privacy and why we feel that way and whether they are, um, you know, backed up opinions that are backed up with, you know, good reasons, or is it just a feeling we've got, you know, mm -hmm. or sometimes mm -hmm. these things are out of our hands. Perhaps the institution we work for or the school we work for have certain rules like, you know, no mobile phones allowed, or they've blocked certain websites yeah. from your interactive whiteboard from being accessed. Yes. So, you know, sometimes it's really out of our hands as well, but I think it's worth a discussion for sure. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for the just touching on these things. We'll share the link to Chia's article in the show notes and the different questions. I think there are a total of almost 16 or no more, more than 16, 20 questions to share with students and with fellow teachers. Thanks very much, Chia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. So yeah, so that was my, um, that was my chat. Yeah, we just touched on a, a little bit. i curious to what your thoughts about this? I mean, Chia says that she's not that bothered about it, but now she's becoming more aware of it with other people who have been bothered. How bothered are you, for example, about having Alexa on or about... Uh, it's quite interesting. My students have called my... The students I mentioned be before the interview have called me out on this because I'm always like, you know, um, from a different point of view, I'm like, don't make sure the cookies don't track you. Da, da, da. And then they go, but you've got Alexa, you know, <laughs> and you use yeah. Alexa in the classroom um, yeah. uh, uh, with it. And it's like, yeah. So uh, oh, cheers. It's that been the, the beginning certainly of the interview where she's talking about Alexa and it's kind of like yeah why do I accept that and I know and I know that it and I know that happens and yet I, I do other things and yeah and also I do find myself quite a private person unlike Chia um, I don't I'm very private on my Facebook page for example on my social media yeah. I, don't mean, I don't mean that negatively I just don't share things I mean, both of us have written stuff for teachers material for teachers books articles uh, we've done teacher training sessions where there are for a long time, there was kind of an expectation of, 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 of to be able to do some of these technological things. You did have to kind of buy into sharing your data, like if yeah. you're going to get it free. So like any of the Google stuff or like I've written loads of activities for using WhatsApp. Um, and often I try to say, well, use WhatsApp or a similar kind yeah. of thing. But 
but it is the WhatsApp has always been the telephone number problem, but there are ways around that. Um, but there is a sort of amount of buy-in for that. And I wonder if that isn't going to, as, as these as leaks and data issues and privacy become more and more mainstream as concerns, do you think that's going to have an effect on the? I think I actually see quite. Um, I I run training. I mean, obviously, do the, the the teaching class that I talked about, but I do a lot of uh, tech training uh, with it, and I see more, actually more and more backlash from uh, teachers who attended the course. They go, "Well, I just don't want to be uh, sign up to Google or." do this yeah yeah i mean because yeah all those kind of things or sign up to another platform or yeah you just have to give your your email and then just check the box on the accept all the accept the policy i think, I think it's the, this is the bit of it that interests me in when we talk about privacy and i think it, it's because obviously uh, i write a lot about mobile learning uh this idea that i, I think I think as teachers, we overlook that what what that does that just by telling people to use an app or taking them online, we are creating these digital footprints for them, or you know, getting them into their data being shared with with people. And there's so many issues of, of privacy that it, you know that it, in that sense that we I don't think we we naturally I, think it, about unless, no, unless you're I like, think unless in you're that like sense it, it is still a bit of a wild west out there I mean yeah, in certain yeah. terms of like sharing videos and uploading videos of yourself to a platform and and and, and sharing all that I love it, um go and go and look at I'll, I'll try and point some out for you for example I um and end user agreements um okay and like agreements. have you read them like the one you know like in in, uh, and this is, I think this is interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning this just to highlight the point, but in Apple's, uh, in, in, in like the iTunes um, stuff, then um, is it in Apple? Yeah, in Apple's, you, it's the end of the world. If you are, if you are going to be a zombie, that the terms and conditions are null and void. Oh, no, oh, no, that's Amazon's. In, in Apple's, it's you will, you promise not to cause the end of the world by nuclear destruction. And they're written into their EULAs, but nobody ever reads them, you know? Oh, that is very strange. <laughs> they're just, they're, that is some, very strange. There's, there's some fabulous ones out there. They're, 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 and I love it. There's one, there was a research project in the UK a couple of years ago on free Wi Fi. Uh, on end, end user agreements and they put into the end user agreement, you know, when you go to a cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end user agreement, they just put in the phrase, you will give us your firstborn child just to oh, see wow. how many people would, would still do it. They're, they're fabulous. And and that's the bit of, I, I'm bringing it back to the classroom of privacy. That's the bit I'm, you know, that I think that as teachers, we tend to, we need to be slightly more aware of when we're, when we're, when we're um, telling people to go on the internet or using technology of education, you know, the, yeah. the, there's all these things you can't see. Well, to wrap that bit up, I would then just recommend a writer that you and I both have liked and enjoyed. That would be Audrey Waters yeah, is very absolutely. good on this and her yeah. website is Hack Education. Yeah, it, although it's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, it's kind of in library mode at the moment because she's writing a book yeah. or something, isn't it? But, but can I finish? Out. I've, I've got one, one to finish. I didn't, We're going to finish with one thing then. Go one for it. One thing, and this is purely because last, last episode, I really didn't like the fact you were trying to take jokes away from me. Oh no, what's so, happening? Okay, one joke. Oh. Why doesn't the Cookie Monster have good internet privacy? Uh, I don't know. Is it going to be something about? It's something about cookies. Of course it is. He always accepts the cookies. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> oh no! 
There you go. Back on my mantle. You might have won the you might have won the fight, but you're not taking the jokes off me. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Can you just talk us out of this episode now? So this has been episode two of season eleven of the Tefl Commute. And if you are new to the Tefl Commute, you can find us at the Tefelcommute.com and that's where we put the show notes. You'll be able to download the podcast anywhere that has good podcast listening. You could go to Spotify, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, anywhere that James has been, you'll find the podcast there you will also now find us on instagram uh and the name escapes me which james will not be good about is Temple commute pod, pod. Yes, yes i remember the uh there uh with it so we you know if you if you like podcasts you can't really escape from us and uh i guess i'll be back for episode three see you then Lindsay, and see you then sean bye everyone bye as your commute is coming to an end Here's an activity you can take into class. Conduct a privacy awareness survey with your students. You can find examples of these online using the key search term privacy awareness questionnaire or how much do you share online survey. Alternatively, you can make your own using questions such as do you know the privacy settings on any social media sites you use and which things do you share or not share online? Do the questionnaire with your students and then ask them to follow up at home by doing the questionnaire in their own language with friends or family members. Use the results of this to have a conversation about what steps to take to keep your private information private. You've been listening to The TEFL Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden, and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice, and by visiting us at tefelcommute.com. Tefl